Welcome everybody to episode two of season three of the Race Spec Esports Podcast. I'm your host Ken Temma, and with me, as always, is El Tonki. How are you, El Tonki? Yeah, doing well, Matt. Good to be here. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in as well. A, a great race weekend to talk about this week. Certainly does. Uh, not too much to talk about at the pointy end uh, of Spa, but definitely a lot going on in the midfield and certainly at the back. Um, but before we head on to what happened at Spa, let's have a little chat about what's going on in race spec. The seasons are well and truly underway with uh, the latest race in the Netherlands uh, last week. How did you go in your two races? Yeah, I really liked the Netherlands. Um, looking back, I thought that it might be a little bit boring, not too many places to overtake, but I, I had a lot of fun. I mean, in the in the Pacific season, in the Pacific series rather, things didn't go all too well, and I, I was languishing down in P16 or P17. Uh, but in the in the global, had a good race, um, finishing in P8 there. I know you had a, a great race yourself. How did you find it? Oh uh, yeah, not a great race on Tuesday, which is um, probably similar to you. Just a bit of struggling with the track and learning it as it's the new track in F1 2020. So I hadn't raced on it very much, but uh, much improved on Sunday. Uh, I managed to get myself from 16th up into 4th, which was fairly handy. Um, in terms of the track, yeah, it's pretty flowing. Um, you know, tracks race differently on, on the game compared to real life, obviously, but Definitely, there was only one real place to overtake, and that was at the end of the main straight. Other than that, uh, you could try some clever stuff, but most of it ended up in a bit of a disaster. You really had to bide your time behind people, and I expect that's what we'll see next season in 2021, that uh, it will be very difficult to get past, and yeah, it will all be about how you come around that last corner on the bank and using your energy to get past people down that straight. So it could be an interesting tactical race. Um, Maybe if it's a two-stopper, that'll enter a, a lot more tactics into it. But certainly, it's a good track to race. Not so much to overtake, and probably not so much, not so good for TV, I guess. So let's talk about Spa. Uh, last night, or oh, last night Australian time, uh, as always, we're up very late watching the F1, and there wasn't too much to talk about Ferrari were the main talking point, I guess, and how disastrous their weekend was and how bad it's probably going to be in Monza next week. Yeah, absolutely. The Ferrari were quite disappointing to watch, that's for, four, that's for sure. P13 and P14 for the two Ferrari boys. I mean, we, we, we expect them to be bad, unfortunately, with their new engine, but this bag, uh, absolutely not. No, there's a lot of questions being asked in Italy today, that's for sure. Um, but not only did they get beaten by everyone else, but they also got beaten by Alfa Romeo, Kimi Raikkonen, finished ahead of both of the Ferraris, which is even more concerning. Uh, you, know, you don't really want your customer team to be beating you on track. Um, it sort of signifies that you know, the Alfa has a bit more aero um, than Vettel and the Clerks Ferraris, which is probably concerning as well, I know, you know, in hindsight, Leclerc probably would have beaten him if he didn't have to stop um, for that pressure issue. But just to talk on the radio is what gets me a lot. It it, it does feel like the both drivers are completely lost faith in their strategist. Um, they they don't not confident in what's going to be happening. That that they're making the right moves and they're constantly second guessing. Um, 
and it doesn't feel like there's a, a two-way conversation that's being had you know we're going to do this what do you think of this uh, often uh, the strategy will come over to someone like Hamilton and he'll go no nah, I'm going to do this um, he might make the call but there might be a discussion as well same with Verstappen um, they're hard-headed but there's that still discussion whereas the Ferrari drivers are sort of second guessing they don't want to do it that then they're telling them what's actually going to happen and they're even telling them what they should go and work out get get your calculator out and go work this out which is unheard of in f1 yeah absolutely i mean we're not hearing absolutely everything that's going on on the radio but what we do here does show that they don't have trust in that in that strategy team that's for sure i guess to put this into context as well when we have a look at what happened last year we had it was an all-Ferrari front row with, with Charles Leclerc just from pole position, never looking back um, and taking the victory. I think in 2018 as well, um, I think it was Vettel as well who had won that race. So Spa is such a power-hungry circuit, a circuit that's so so well-suited to the typical fast Ferrari car. And now suddenly they're not even able to get into Q3 or even score a point. It, it, it's, it's as if they shouldn't have even turned up at all this weekend yeah they've definitely been caught out by the sanctions that were handed down in secret by the FAA and they haven't had enough time it appears to not only redesign or rectify um, the, the engine uh, to get it to get more power into it without using the method that they were using which we are not 100% sure of but uh, a lot of people are saying that they were managing to burn a little bit of oil in, in there as well, which is, is against the rules. Um, but they haven't had enough time to, to sort of fix that. And it, it's it, they won't have any time for the rest of the season. So and while we're at these power-hungry tracks, they're going to really struggle. Monza, their home, they're going to really, really struggle. It's Imola might be okay. To, driving it on, on iRacing and stuff, it's a bit bit more free-flowing. It's, it's hard to overtake on, but it's nowhere near as power-hungry as somewhere like Spa or Monza. So it might be a little bit better at a, at a place like Imola. Um, and we'll talk about some other tracks that they've added on a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, we won't stay on Ferrari forever. We could we could probably talk it to death. So we'll move on to Mercedes. It's pretty stock standard from Mercedes, really. I um, wasn't too happy with the early messages to Bottas that he wasn't allowed to, to fight and he wanted to, um, but they did let them have the gloves off when that safety car restarted and it was quite clear uh, that Bottas didn't have enough anyway. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, another stock standard weekend for both uh, Lewis Hamilton and, and Valtteri Bottas. Um, well, they just look untouchable at this stage. Hamilton is is he's faster than Valtteri, that's for sure. Bottas can't, can't touch him and, and the team's not letting him touch him at this stage. Even... Even if he was close enough, you know that Hamilton just have, has enough pace, he has enough time management to not even let uh, Bottas do too much there. So from that point of view, certainly not an exciting weekend. We knew what was going to happen pretty much from the outset, that it would be a, a Mercedes 1-2. Um, but, you know, fair play to them. They've developed the car incredibly well and, and they're reaping the rewards. Hamilton now, what, 50 points ahead of, uh, who was it, Bottas in the... In the, in the driver's standings and yeah the expectation is that he'll run away with it from here that's for sure certainly is um and uh, yeah i can't see anything else happening but a hamilton win for the title i mean they had a lot of downforce on that car and they were still just massive in a straight 
straight line. Uh, you could see that at the start of the race. Um, Hamilton managed to cover Bottas off, and everyone was coming through the slipstream, and they still had enough power that it wasn't even close for them getting through the, the first main chicane there. So pretty stock standard. I mean, what else can we say? We're going to be saying the same things every week about Mercedes. So um, until they, they make a huge error or something bad happens to them, like in Germany, then it's, it's going to be a pretty similar conversation. Um, we'll move on to Red Bull, who, yeah, they try their hardest every week to challenge Mercedes. And Verstappen had a, a pretty good race. He had the same sort of tyre problems as the Mercedes drivers as well. Uh, he was keeping up with them when he could, but it, it felt like he was pushing as hard as he could and Mercedes were just keeping him at arm's length. They weren't really pushing as hard as they could. So pretty good race from Verstappen. You can't fault him at all at the moment. Uh, how did you feel Verstappen and Albon were going? Yeah, well, he's really racing for P3, it seems, at this stage. We've, we've given the Mercedes boys and, and their team all the wraps and the beautiful thing about Verstappen is he drives the exact same car that Alex Albon does. And, and week in, week out, he's so far ahead. He's such such an, an excellent driver. He's got amazing tyre management. He's got amazing pace. Um, it, it, it's a scary prospect to think that if he was in the top car uh, that the Mercedes boys are in, he would be miles and miles uh, down the road. Is um, yeah. As as the commentators say, thank God for Max Verstappen because he's the only one who's really giving any any charge to those Merck boys. Yeah, certainly the case. Um, I do feel sorry for Albon. I mean, they, we saw it again. We talked about it uh, the previous podcast about how he was put on the hard tires and left out there to dry just to test for something for Verstappen, and it felt like that was exactly what happened again. The the safety car comes out, Albon puts on these mediums and I'm like, he's, he can't possibly go to the end. So he has to two stop. Uh, he man did manage to get to the end. He, he did get over, overtaken by Ocon after a pretty good stout defense. Um, but it feels like Albon is the testing, testing guy for Verstappen. And he's, you know, he's getting a bit of a bad rap for it because of his finishes. He's not, not being asked to show his full potential when he's not um, given, I guess, all the tools in the shed to make something. Yeah, that's right. I think 30-odd old medium tyres wasn't in the strategy book for, for any of the teams this weekend, but he did his best with it. Whether he was going to do better on those hard tyres, the reality is probably yes. Ocon likely wouldn't have had him, but it was a good defence. He was uh, fairly lucky to not have Lando Norris also form his usual last lap antics and overtake him. Mm. Um, look, as, as you said, it's he is unfortunately a, a bit of a, a science experiment, which is it's disappointing. Just like I was, I was mentioning last week, each driver point is just as valuable when it comes uh, to the constructor's standings, whether that driver point is coming from your main driver or your second driver. So you, you'd like to think that that Red Bull will start to realise that if, if they really want to... Uh, comfortably take P2 in the Constructors' Championship. They want Alex Albon as high up there as possible. It's going to do wonders for his confidence as well moving forwards. Yeah, certainly will. Um, yeah, I, I guess we keep hearing that, that they talk about him a bit better than they talk about Gasly. 
Um, and the, the, even the commentators were sort of saying that Christian Horner says that he gives great feedback, much better feedback than Gasly was giving to the engineers and stuff. So they, they clearly see that he's, he's a pretty smart driver and, and he's well uh, worth having around the team. And it's possible the feedback he's giving is making the car faster and Verstappen's reaping those rewards. So uh, we never know the ins and outs in a team, but we can only just read what we can see and, and it does feel like he is valued there and they're going to give him enough time but he certainly needs to get a little bit quicker i thought he was qualifying was a lot better um not not to where you want him to be but it was better this weekend uh the mclarens what can we say about color science it's just a horror show for him at spa not only did he get into his car to, to go to the grid and there was an exhaust failure, uh, I believe they said, so they couldn't even uh, try and get it fixed. So he didn't get to race again in Spa. And then uh, he's sitting there and he's seeing these Ferraris that he's going to next year. There's two of the slowest cars on the grid. He must be thinking, what have I done? Did I kick a black cat under a ladder or something like that? Because it's not looking good for him at the moment. Yeah, that's the only logical conclusion to make. Isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, in a, an exhaust failure leading to a whole raft of other engine issues and this talk that they might have to rebuild that entire engine, leading to all sorts of uh, penalties uh, further on down the track. But yeah, the, the most worrying thing for Carlos Sainz is seeing his future home, his Ferrari team, uh, not even putting anything that's remotely competitive. And no doubt when he signed uh, for Ferrari, he would have been quite exciting. Uh, knowing that he's moving to a team which is traditionally a competitor. Perhaps he thought that he'd be able to compete for a world championship, and then he's not seeing anything uh, at all from that. Yeah, look, disappointing for Carlos. Hopefully hopefully that car gets up going again. He doesn't take too many penalties, and he's able to show us the pace that we know who he's capable of. Uh, and hopefully he's able to have his Ferrari team show the, the pace that we know they're uh, capable of showing as well. Yeah, Ferrari are a bit of an outlier. Uh, I mean, we've managed to go back to them again, but they have the money to, to get out of the hole of Doug themselves. If it was a different team, you'd be thinking this this could this could go on for a fair few years now. Um, but they have the money to research and get get a better engine um, as quick as possible. So it it could just turn around and magically uh, they have this great engine next season, and it's all good to go. Of course, you know engines take years to develop, but. I, you've got to hope that there's got something better coming down the line and then you've got in the full regulation change in 2022. So maybe yeah, it might, your be, idea. might be still pain next year. Yeah, the regulation change I think will help. Um, I know they're, they're putting caps on how much teams can spend too. So uh, Ferrari being a very traditional rich team might not have the same influence that it might have had in the past, but I guess that remains to be seen. Yeah, we're just guessing here, aren't we? Uh, the other McLaren driver, Lando, he was, uh, yeah, it was good. Um, unremarkable, but, yeah, fairly good. I think he did the best with the car that he had. Yeah, made things exciting for us. Uh, you almost expected him to overtake both Albon and, and Ocon heading into that final lap, but uh, unfortunately not to be. But he, he showed great pace. It was a, yeah, he, he was one of, the, one of the drivers that really provided some excitement in the midfield, and, and that's really all you have to do nowadays. We've spoken about the Merc boys um, always being up top, and yeah, F1 races can be a bit of a snooze fest today, but if we keep looking at people like Norris, if we keep looking at uh, those midfield battles, 
uh, that keeps things quite exciting for us. Certainly does. And Renault, uh, really good pace for Renault. Um, it seems their engine is pretty good, and, and McLaren have shown that, and Renault have shown that now again at a power-hungry track. They were good at Monza last year as well. I expect them to be good next week. Um, they just need to get their aero sorted out a little bit, and they could... Yeah, they could be a, a challenger. I mean, I don't see any reason why they couldn't be up there with the Red Bull sort of thing if they can get that aero fixed. Again, time. Yeah, it takes time for those things to happen. You don't just magically um, bolt a wing on and then everything is fixed. So um, hopefully next season Renault are again faster um, with that engine, which I don't think is a huge issue uh, if they can keep on improving it. Yeah, very surprising. And the exciting thing for Renault heading into next week is that uh, Monza is, again, a very power-hungry track. And you've had Daniel Ricciardo put in an amazing performance, finishing only three seconds behind Max Verstappen. And we've given Max all the wraps. Mm. And there's Daniel Ricciardo over the course of 44 laps of Spa, finishing only three seconds behind, as well as a, as a fastest lap to boot. If, if, if Renault are able to get their strategy right, Yep. Um, and and build the car in the know that in the way that we know they can. That engine's going to do remarkably well for them, and and you'd expect them to have uh, another P five P six finish, and that'd be almost expectation given what happened in Spa. Yeah, and then no doubt they'll let themselves down around those uh, twisty tracks. Uh, oh, they where, have to. Yeah, where the power isn't there. So if they, as I said, if they can get that aero sorted out, um, they'll be much more consistent. But um. It tends to happen, doesn't it? They go to a power track, everyone gets up and about, and then they, they just fall apart um, around those aero. They can't seem to bolt on enough downforce to get it done, unfortunately. Uh, we'll move on to Racing Point. And I've wrote down some interesting notes about Racing Point. They are slowly falling backwards. And my theory is, and it's similar to some other theories I've read as well, that, yes, they've traced... The Mercedes, we all know that. Um, they've just carbon copied it. And everyone's improving their cars because they've started with a base and they're looking to improve. Racing Point have copied, but they don't know how to improve the copy that they've made. Um, and so now they're just going to have that for the rest of the season and won't really be able to improve it uh, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I've, I've heard that because they have these 2019 Mercedes parts they don't fully understand how they work they don't fully understand how they're getting the the downforce how they're getting the errors as you said they're not a hundred percent sure how to improve on these parts and when you have a look at the constructors standings from what from third to sixth there's nine points mm. separating them and yep, and the likes of Renault the the, the likes of McLaren, even even the likes of, of Alpha Tauri, who are really on the rise, are heading you know through to the midpoint of the season. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Racing Point are able to keep the strong results, the strong form that they've had in the past, or if they're just going to have this exact same 2019 Mercedes car moving through to the end as everyone uh, starts to overtake them. Um, my guess is that they will probably not be performing as well in the back half of the season as they did in the front half of the season, purely because, again, they're probably not too sure how these parts work. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's different copying something than developing it yourself. That's uh, 
for sure in, in anything, let alone F1. Uh, a bit of, just before we move on, a bit of a shout out to Gasly. You mentioned AlphaTauri, and I don't have Gasly in the show notes. He was a bit of an afterthought, but he was he was rapid again. And to be blunt, mm. he's embarrassing Kvyat at the moment. Mm. Uh, you know, pound for pound, um, and it's not like a a Red Bull where they might have a little bit different cars or, or whatever. They they have the uh, I reckon one hundred percent they have the same car, and Gasly's just out driving him. Mm. And you spoke as well about. Uh... Albon and Gasly being different drivers for uh, for Red Bull. Um, Albon, yes, great in terms of his feedback. But when you have a look at Gasly finishing only five seconds back from Albon in the sister AlphaTauri car, picking up driver of the day to boot as well, he's mm. he's come out in leaps and bounds. And I don't know, I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for Gasly, kind of quiet. It seems really unassuming and it's great to see him having those those excellent results uh but scary for for daniel kvyat um, not being able to even get close to his teammate over the weekend yeah certainly and you know they were talking about i think it was the bbc or someone like that was talking about gasly and where does he go when he outgrows Alpha Tori, I mean, you don't want him to stay there forever, and I'm, I'm sure he doesn't want to either. I can't see him going back to Red Bull. Um, mainly, one, because he knows he can't drive the car as it is or, or how it will be or how Verstappen likes it. Um, so could he could he end up somewhere else? I mean, I, I, there's, you know, F1's a funny game, but I can't see anywhere where there will be a spot anytime soon. So he might be an Alpha Tori driver for a little while yet, uh, that's for sure. Now, further down the field, there was a massive crash. And when I first saw it, uh, I thought, gee, I hope those two are all right. Um, I was a bit devo because I love Russell and uh, I saw that it was his car. So I'm like, oh, I'm just unlucky. But um, that was a full shunt that, that Giovinazzi did. And it was in a really weird place. And then to see Russell's on board was just uh, amazing. I thought, oh, he's getting a tire in the head here. Um, managed to hit his front tire and, and miss the halo um, just, but uh, it was it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, it's one of those spots that I've never never really seen a crash before. I mean, when we drive Spa, of course, virtually, there are certain spots that are very crashy, and, and that's not one that, that comes to mind. But, yeah, you're right. When when the camera shot was on that crash to begin with, and the and the cars are all smoking up, you think, oh no, something something terrible has has gone on here. And yeah, look, unlucky for Russell. It's it, strong argument for the halo. Yes, I know it didn't hit the halo. The Giovinazzi's wheel had hit Russell's right front wheel. But you think that if Russell didn't react in the way that he did, or that tire took almost an unlucky bounce. And that's going straight into the cockpit. That's going to have disastrous um, mm, effects. Certainly. And you know the, the FIA, they, they keep talking about safety and and they're improving safety uh, every year that goes on. Um, and and that's a, a strong case for the Halo. It's good to see the boys walk away from that one. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean that that chicane that he goes through. It's a it's sad you don't really see because you're actually you're sort of coasting through there and. You do put your foot down a little bit and can get a bit squirrely, but he, I, I couldn't believe he didn't catch it. When you look at the onboards, I don't know if he reacted slow, but it sort of snapped away from him, and then he 
he oversnapped it again. I'd, it's hard to explain, but I was very surprised he couldn't catch it either. Mm, and, and the way he even hit that barrier and then bounced across track, it, it's, it's unlike anything I've really seen before. Usually mm. they tend to hit and stick to the barrier. Uh, that's how F1 tracks are designed to have the crashed cars sitting to one side. Uh, mm. Yeah, a little bit, little bit peculiar, that one. Yeah, it was it was a bit odd, and then so much debris. I was surprised no one um got a big cut, a gash in their tire, but uh, everyone managed to get away with that as well, which um, was interesting. And the the stewards did a really good job. They two cars out really quick. Though I mean the safety car was only out for what three laps, four laps. Mm. I know they're long laps, but still that was that's fairly quick. So kudos to them. Um, so I guess that we'll we'll finish up on Spa there. Um, you know. It wasn't the greatest spa. It won't go down in history or anything like that. Actually, it probably will for Ferrari being so terrible. But, uh, yeah, hopefully next season will be a little bit more exciting. Hopefully someone can make some gains. And with everyone having a Mercedes engine, I guess the gains come in the aero and they really have to try and beat them in that aero department. Um, if technically they get, there are a lot of teams are going to have the same engine, uh, Williams, McLaren, uh, Racing Point. Uh, those type of teams. So next week we have uh, Monza and no more uh, party modes. So um, I think it was meant to start in Spa, um, but they they delayed it because a lot of the teams complain they haven't had enough time to adjust. Uh, I'm not sure what you have to adjust to too much, but um, yeah, no more party mode. So you have to keep uh, your engine in the same mode for qualifying and the race. So it's a bit of a park Ferme situation there. We spoke about it last week. Um, I don't know. I'm, we didn't get to see it this week. We talked about it last time on the podcast. So it'll be interesting next week in, in Monza um, how much teams are willing to risk turning it up and what level they're going to turn it up to. That's the intriguing bit. Yeah, I mean, as we discussed last week, if you have... Um, an engine in such a high-performing mode, which is great for qualifying. Uh, using that throughout the, uh, the course and the, and the duration of a, of a race around Monza, it's going to do a lot of wear and tear, a lot of damage to that engine. Um, and, and you run that risk of the engine completely failing on you. So at the risk of a great starting position uh, to, to think about that you might not even finish because of engine failure, well, it adds an extra dimension, and it's something that we spoke about last week. It might bring the field a little bit closer, which would be nice. Again, any anything that they can do to bring those Merc boys back will always be great for the sport. Um, yeah, but again, it remains to be seen whether it will cause a massive difference. I think not. Um, but it'll be good to see uh, maybe just one, one or two teams just see how far they can push and, and run that risk of the engine giving up on them altogether. I'm curious to see if it'll make things harder to pass as well. Like if you, if you're really struggling to pass, you normally have three things to turn up. You have it. You, you can put yourself into overtake mode with your battery. Um, put the fuel, add some more fuel in for a little bit. They not generally overfuel the cars, so you can give yourself a little bit of. Uh, overtaking power when you need it and then you can turn the engine up um, so they're taking one of those things away so it, might, it could make it harder to pass again um, especially in Monza where you need to really come around um, that last corner and be all over the back of that car to, to 
get past them right at the end there. We saw some great defending from Leclerc, who won't be doing that in Italy next week. Uh, well, not at the front anyway. And the TFOC could ride. It's probably good that they don't have crowds in there um, for Ferrari's sake. Yeah, I mean, when you have a look at uh, the Tifosi last last year, Charles Leclerc uh, getting pole position and winning, and they were so excited. It was Christmas had come had come early, and and unfortunately, the, it's not going to be the same result. Not going to be the same result from from yeah. victory last year to to where Ferrari will be this year. Uh, yeah, they're, they're they're a proud, passionate fan base. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, the, the signs aren't aren't there. It's going to be take something superhuman for a Ferrari to to get into that top five. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think we've bashed Ferrari enough now, and and I'm sure they're getting bashed a lot worse uh, over in Europe at the moment. Uh, we had some other news coming out um, in general. Uh, we've got four more races, uh, three more tracks, or four more technically four more tracks. We'll, we'll go with four more tracks. Added to the calendar, so we're up to 17 now. Um, we have Turkey back. Uh, we haven't raced there for a while, so that'll be interesting. Um, Abu Dhabi uh, again, and Bahrain, which will be good to go to. I don't, I don't mind watching Bahrain. I don't like driving it virtually, but uh, watching it, it tends to be okay racing there. And then the outer track of Bahrain, which everyone is extremely mystified about. Um, no one really. I wasn't aware there was an outer track at Bahrain. Um, I've had a look at it. I've done a little bit of research, listened to a few pundits talking about it, and uh, they're talking 52-second laps. Um, so that could get very crowded in qualifying with 52-second laps going on. Yeah, that's right. Look, first of all, well done to the FIA for having a 17-race-long season. I know looking back in, uh, in February, looking back in March, when the coronavirus hit, there was a potential that the season might not even get started and we've had 17 races uh, develop, which is, which is excellent. Uh, yeah, 52 second lap. It's, it's interesting. I, I had a look at that outer track as well. Um, I know you've written a note as well. It's just one big square with a couple of wiggly bits in it, yeah. um, which, is, which I think is a, is, a, is a very fair description. But look, when we have, when we have short tracks, short in terms of time, um, it's something different, something I'm actually a little bit excited for as well because you have, you have a lot of traffic, which is, which is great. A lot of lapped cars, a lot of traffic, um, a lot of blue flags, which adds to the excitement. Um, and it also, it also keeps the cars a lot closer together because when you only have very few turns, there are only very few places where you can potentially lose time, which is not only exciting for the race, but very mm. exciting for qualifying as well all you need to do is is slightly mess up one turn and that could be the difference between uh getting into q2 or, or keeping in q3 or or even one of the the bottom runners just hooking up a, a really really good lap for their car and, and suddenly they're thinking about a q1 uh qualifying finish so it's different that's for sure um but i, I think in this case different will be good different will be exciting yeah and an interesting fact is that it, it's not technically a rule now but it used to be a rule that you had to have a certain level of race um had to be performed on the track a certain amount of times before it could even be considered for f1 as a track so it goes to show you uh how crazy this year is uh in f1 land that 
they're just adding a track that no one's even raced on. So no one's no one's had a race on this track, <laughs> like not even a, a smaller uh, you know type of car or um, any other open wheel cars or any other touring type cars. No one's raced on this thing. They have no idea what's going to happen, which is awesome because yeah, we, no one has any idea. This could be the greatest thing ever. So not even a touring car race or anything like that. Not that I'm aware of. Not that well, okay. I I. Well, I was reading that there's been no legit race on this track. Um, there we go. So they've had a look at the Bahrain circuit and said, technically, we can use this bit of road plus this bit of road, and we have, we've got ourselves a race. Yeah, it, it it's officially the outside track at Bahrain. They just never really used it. They built it, um, but they haven't used it to race on. I think you testing and things like that. Um, it's used for. Oh, there we go. But that one's actually raced. So I could be totally wrong if I am. Uh, send hate mail to me in the Discord channel. Um, but um, yeah, from what I'm a, from what I understand is that no one's actually raced on this thing. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, should be some good overtaking places. So there's, there's some right angles there, some right angle turns to get yeah, lick the stamp and send it down the inside. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, but mm. good on them. I'm an extra race. I'm all for it. And a crazy 52 second lap race. Yeah, let's go. Mm. And you, you expect that each of those straights will have DRS zones as well, so it'll keep everyone nice and tight. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe not all to of it. Them. Something different. Two. I reckon two will. Maybe three. Imagine three on a 52-second lap. Three, three would be crazy. Be well, there's, there's, there's three on the on the current uh, Bahrain circuit, isn't there? Main it's straight. Much, it's much longer lap, though. Yeah, uh, that's true. How long do you do a lap at Bahrain? Oh, I can't remember. What is it, like a one... 120 odd 20s no i don't even remember yeah you can't you can't ask me what times i do because i'm a i'm I'm not a fair reflection of what a what a good lap time is yeah i can't i can't recall uh, 100 (laughs) what a good lap time is around bahrain either but it's longer it's definitely longer and this one will be very very interesting and we'll have to see what happens when we get to it so uh yeah, really, everyone's in this crazy place. Like, everyone signed up to the Concord Agreement. We haven't talked about that. So all 10 teams are going to be racing for the next five years, which is fantastic, including Haas, which we were a bit worried about. Um, so it's exciting times there, fine. I mean, we got through the difficult period of COVID, it feels like, and we're starting to come to the other side, and there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel for the whole thing. Uh, Williams has been bought. We haven't talked about that. Um, so they've got funding now, backing for the next five years to, to build their cars and and try and achieve the pinnacle again. So it's really exciting for all 10 teams. Yeah, it's good. They've done really well. It's become a an excellent spectator sport as well. And one thing I am noticing as well through the, through the coverage, through the Sky Sports coverage, is that they're really marketing the sport to the newbies. So when they're talking mm. about DRS, they're explaining what that is. When they're talking about certain engine modes, they're explaining... What that is down to the down to the grassroots level. I think they're really appealing to the new race fan, and yeah, um, yeah everything's everything's gone gone really well for them. I'm certainly glad we we got a season this year. Yeah, and they probably need to explain it to that guy on the big screen last night who was go Verstappen and then did a shoey in his Red Bull gear. Um, <laughs> no one no one's worded him up that Ricardo's not there anymore. I don't think there's a bit of bizarre stuff going on in Spa. Yeah. So that'll take us to the end of the podcast. We'll finish with the the weird guy doing a shoey on the big screen cheering on Verstappen, I think. There's no better way. And, There's uh, no better way to finish. 
we've got another race next week in Monza, so we'll be back in a week's time uh, to talk about what happens in Monza. Can we get a little bit of a prediction? What do you think will happen? Will it be stock standard or will someone do something interesting? Look, my my head says stock standard. My my heart, being a Daniel Ricciardo fan, says uh, Cyril gets a tattoo. And we get a shoey. <laughs> You've heard it here first. And we get a shoey. I'd love to see a shoey. It's been too long. Far too long. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm hoping that the Renault are able to do something there um, with that uh, advantage they seem to have on Power Hungry Tracks. And hopefully we get a bit of Danny Rick shoey action. Uh, other than that, love it. Yeah, I can't see too much being different. Um, it, it'll be very similar to what happened in Spa, I think. Mm. Yeah, agreed. All right, on that somber yet optimistic shoey note, let's finish it up. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, Matt. See you later, guys.